Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you, and as I often like to do, a little preview of what's coming up. For our inbox, we have a listener who's wondering, what are some good habits to establish before getting married? Okay, that's a good question. Shouldn't we all be establishing good habits, marriage or not? So one of our counselors is going to weigh in on that. And then for our culture, uh, we have Paul Angoni back for part two of our conversation about lies young adults believe. And so we're going to talk today about lies about technology, nostalgia, and looking back and why more information doesn't make us necessarily better informed. So that's coming up later. But here we are for our roundtable and a conversation about real relationships in the age of COVID. So we have got Peter, Laura, and Bill here. Hey, guys. Hey, hey. Lisa. Woot, woot. All right. Well, this is interesting because our blogger, Suzanne Goslin uh, talked about this not too long ago, uh, this phenomenon of the fact that we specifically have let kind of those acquaintances slash moderate friendships drop. Like, I don't think many of us will say, my best friend and I haven't talked in a year. I mean, it's not, (laughs) you're going to keep up with family members, besties, all that kind of stuff. But there are just a whole category and class of friendships that have kind of like eh, petered out or we've left them or even acquaintances. Like I, I felt like Suzanne in her article talked about, you know, for years, she frequented a coffee shop to do her writing. And it was usually like one or two days a week that she would sit there and work. And now she went back after COVID and none of the same employees are there. And she felt like these people just disappeared out of her life. And she was sad. It was like a loss, you know, and and she hadn't thought about how that would affect her. And so um, I think we're going to have a good conversation around this. And I want to kick it off by saying... Um, What would you say, like, look back on the previous year, when you think of the relationships you've had, what are some of the biggest adjustments you've had to make? And did they take you by surprise? Or were you kind of like, did you ease into them? What did that look like as far as the relational component for you? Introvert or extrovert, you can even bring that into it. Yeah, well, I'm definitely an extrovert. And I'm very much like, I want to interact with the people that I want to be around that like, instead of like texting, texting is not my thing. So COVID really actually helped me do a lot better at that. Of like, I, I can't be the guy that re- responds 72 hours later and be like, oh, nothing <laughs> happened. So it was really, it was really good for me to actually be intentional with, with responding via text specifically. Yeah, I'd say for myself, um, I kind of have a unique perspective because I've lived in a couple different uh, time zones in the past couple of years, <laughs> lived on the West Coast, lived on the East Coast, and now I'm in the middle in Colorado. Um, so I have a lot of long distance friendships that I've had to keep up or had to work through even before COVID hit. Um, but that just kind of um, perpetuated the need to be intentional, like you're saying, Laura, and, and reach out to people through texting or on social media, um, even just like um, commenting on their posts and having those little connection points um, instead of, uh, I mean, it's hard to be intentional and keeping really close with a ton of different people. Um, so having those even small connection points online, there are ways to do that. Um, you just have to be creative. 
I would say I'm the exact opposite of Laura. I'm the introvert, and 72 hours is acceptable. It's like I'm still here, <laughs> but but I have found out that I need to be more intentional, um, and that involves just reaching out and starting some new friendships online as well. Maybe maybe somebody had been acquaintances with, but really taking that relationship deeper and really building that friendship. Yeah, that's good. What would you say? I mean, it's it's hard to think of like quarantine and, you know, sequestering and COVID and all this kind of stuff is being good for relationships. I think we can think of the the bad things, but is there anything that you were forced to improve in how you relate to other people because of, of COVID and being in lockdown or having to socially distance? I would say so. Um, just for, for background, John, who's producing the program, uh, he and I have really worked on the friendship over the past few months. And for me, it was being very intentional to say, this is the time I have to set that and keep that. And, and he's been very flexible, but it's been setting up online meetings and just hmm. doing what you'd normally do in person, but being a little bit more intentional about, hey, I have to do this and put a little more into it because we don't have that face-to-face, the 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 contact you'd normally have like at a coffee shop or something yeah yeah I think with that being intentional with yeah setting up those times or even those phone calls like maybe not in person maybe you don't have the opportunity but there are people that I would normally run into and just having to choose other ways to connect whether it was yeah FaceTime whether it was a, a phone call I would say I also spent a couple weeks with my sister and her family and her kids and her husband and so like that was definitely a chance for me to connect more um, with them because there are five kids um, so that was really fun because I got to work and be there at the same time so those were relationships I definitely was able to build deeper yeah I think over the past year um, most everyone has struggled in some way or fashion um, and so I think I was challenged and I have been challenged over the past year of like, how can I pray for my friends and how can I pray for my acquaintances? And just being intentional and asking those questions and having conversations as they open up um, or as people are willing to open up to you. Um, I think that's a that's a great way to um, kind of stay in touch and stay connected. And Lisa, to add one other thing, I, I joked about being an introvert, which I am, but I had to come to a place where I realized I need people. Um, just, just for me as a person, I need that input of people speaking into my life in different ways to keep me fresh, to keep me, uh, you know, aware of things spiritually. And that was a big realization for me is I need people. Yeah. I think one good thing that happened for me is I was forced, you know, again, because we couldn't do in inside gatherings and stuff, some of my friendships and connections I took outside. So I ended up, especially through the summer and into the fall, doing more hiking. And so it would be on a weekend or an evening, like grabbing a couple friends and saying, you willing to go outside? And, and that has all kinds of benefits. So that was really <laughs> cool to kind of be forced into that rather than let's go to a restaurant and eat 12,000 calories and talk. <laughs> let's actually go hike. And so that was a kind of a, a weird side benefit of that. Um, I would say, and I wanted to get your take on this, something that was a little bit of a struggle was negotiating the different perspectives on social distancing or masks and having to kind of have those conversations, which could get tricky. So I would say I had a couple closer friends that I ended up not spending a lot of time with because they were very COVID hesitant or very like didn't want to do a lot of anything and stuff. And so then it was like, oh, OK, well, that's going to be hard. How do I reach out to them instead? Did you have any conversations that you had to have that were hard 
around stuff like that of even in group friendships, you know, of like how you negotiate what you're going to do, what you're not going to do? Yeah, uh, conversations and realization of that same thing, Lisa, that like, I don't think any time before has people's views on things been so polarizing where, you know, one side, um, they won't see you in person at all. And one side, um, they won't wear a mask at all. And, um, you, you know, trying to navigate um, each relationship and really prioritizing, um, you know, if I really want to be in relationship with this person and they don't want to see me in person, then I'll FaceTime them or whatever. Or um, the opposite of like, if they want to go out or if I'm not as comfortable as they are, um, what does that look like? And where, what situations can I put myself in? How can I hang out with people in a way that, um, you know, is respectful towards them and also is respectful towards my own position? Um, that's, been a, that's been a challenge. And uh, there's been some conversations that I've had to have um, with friends and family about that. Yeah. I want to circle back to something that Bill said, uh, Bill, you talking about, you know, realizing kind of that you have relational needs and you need people and you can't just be a lone ranger. And it's very easy to kind of slip into patterns or habits that allow us to pull away or whatever. What would you say you guys learned about your relational needs or about friendship? Like what, you know, in in the past year, what really was brought to the surface that you're like, even in, if this pandemic ever ends, (laughs) what am I going to carry forward as just great tools and great things, lessons learned out of it? Yeah, I would say just kind of what we were just talking about of just being more intentional about thinking about the needs of the other person as a whole. Because, yeah, it did feel like every conversation or any time that there was more effort being put in because it was like, okay, I have to actually ask them what they think about this. I want to respect them, but I know where I where I land. And so overall, it was just a good reminder to, to think well of others and to be intentional about um, seeking their needs. Yeah, I would say the same thing is that uh, my wife uh, in... March and April of 2020 had an undiagnosed case of COVID. We just didn't have the testing. So that kind of tempered my attitude on some things with going, okay, I need to respect others where they are on this and, and learning that um, it's okay to bump elbows or, you know, do the fist bump or things. It was awkward for me. I like to shake hands or just, you know, have that, that physical connection, but um, it was learning about others needs and uh, learning just because they want to keep their distance, that's not personal. That that's not toward me. I mean, they're they're protecting themselves and their family. So it was more of um, realizing people's needs and to take that on a case by case basis and go, yeah, I get that, and I want to respect you for it. Yeah, I think one thing that I noticed or learned was how prior to COVID, I had relied so much on the casual acquaintances or just being around people and calling that relationship or calling that friendship. So, you know, we know that you can be lonely in a crowd, but this idea of me being pretty much a borderline extrovert, I could go to things, whether it was church or whether it was an event or a party or whatever, and feel like I'd done relationships when really I hadn't. I'd just been in a crowd and talked to a bunch of people, but not really gone anywhere with it. So I think for me, I want to carry forward the the idea of focusing on the difference between 
having just casual encounters and like, hey, you know, what's up, you know, whatever, whether that's coffee shops or, or general friend groups versus am I really gaining some traction in this friendship? Mm -hmm. Am I giving? Am I receiving? Am I growing? You know, and thinking, again, using the intentionality word, thinking more intentionally about that. I think that'd be a good learning. I think with that, for me, there's a lot of times that like people will just come to mind, whether it's a song or something that I saw, you know, just so many different times where different people will come up or whether it's just the Holy Spirit. So I think for me, it's been really good since I don't get to interact with people as much of just shooting them a text or just calling them randomly and actually following through on those times where I'm reminded of someone, whether it's just to say hi or whether it's, yeah, what's what's going on and let's catch up. So there have been some really fruitful experiences that I've had because I followed through instead of just being like, oh, yeah, I thought of that person. Great. You know, but actually in light of all that's going on saying, no, like I'm actually going to make the effort to, to say something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say one thing it taught me kind of going back to previous comments is just compassion for others um, and realizing I can't just barricade into their lives and hey what's going on but really do need to see them compassionately and that's that's really where spiritually this whole epidemic has hit me mm-hmm. yeah and and just priorities priorities of of um how much of uh friendship you need and how how much community you need and uh how much alone time you need um yeah. and then prioritizing even who those people are and who you're allowing to speak into your life and um who you're reaching out to and and all of that, um, prioritizing all those things, um, is something that, you know, I needed to figure out anyways, but I think COVID has, has helped that along in some ways. Yeah, that's such a good point because I think there's a difference between, you know, needing alone time and needing to get away and refresh and just using that as a crutch to be lazy or an isolationist or, not into other people. I mean, it's very easy to do when you've worked a hard day and then you're like, I am literally just going to sit in front of Netflix. I do not want to deal with people. I don't want to go, you know, and it's like recognizing like, okay, where, where's this being sourced out of? What does that look like? So kind of as we finish out here, I want to get your ideas. We've touched on some of these, but think through more ideas for different levels of friendships. So think maybe the acquaintances, the kind of like, average circle type person, the inner circle, and then best friends and family. What are tips that you would give listeners for going after prioritizing, to use Peter's term, relationship with those different levels of people? It could look, you know, and one thing that just I'll kick us off, one thing that comes to mind is it's easy to think that I'm being technologically savvy by taking every app there is, every delivery service, every opportunity. And I'm like, I could spend the next 10 years of my life never having contact with people with all the things that are available to me. So what is it like? I've talked often about my elderly neighbor who just needs a lot of help, you know, with things. And and I love doing it. She's, She's a friend. And I'm like, yeah, maybe I don't need to get groceries delivered or whatever. Maybe I need to take my friend and just the two of us are going to go and do a little bit of shopping and be careful about it, but have conversation, make it a little social outing that's also productive. But we're going to do that instead of just relying on Prime or relying on random whatever delivery service. So I don't know. I've just been thinking that through. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it changes for each relationship you have with each person. 
um, and and where that even came from. I think a cool thing that I did at the beginning of, of COVID almost a year ago um, was, you know, people in, in one friend group kind of from, um, from college, uh, I just sent out a huge group text and we're like, hey, I'm going to do a Zoom meeting. Like, you guys all come together and, and uh, share what's going on in your life. Um, and that was really cool. It's a great connection point. So even if it's just those things where maybe I don't have an intentional relationship with each individual person, um, but, you know, you can kind of do group online things, um, that works well. Um, and then, you know, people that are closer and depending geographically too, and depending on your stance on COVID or where you're, where you live, um, you know, but, but going outside and, and like you were talking about Lisa going on hikes and runs and all of that, um, going to the grocery store, um, doing those things in person as you can is great. And having the intentional phone conversations too with, with, um, with the close people and the moderately close people too. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, Lisa, a couple of things really jumped out. One is that just asking, hey, is God bringing this person into my life for um, my need or their need? I need to really be sensitive to what God's doing there. And the other is just um, staying invested in good friends. Um, I mean, the the pandemic really shouldn't change that. It It throws challenges our way, but we still need to invest in those and then be open to who God might be bringing in our path. He might be trying to grow me or grow that other person and just being prayerful about that. Yeah, I think knowing where people are at and how they feel about it, like we talked about earlier, is a really big, important piece of it. And then based on that, maybe it is, yeah, having people over for tacos or, you know, deciding who you want to be around you and but also yeah making every effort to be intentional outside of that too yeah maybe it is going to the grocery store and still smiling with your eyes um at people instead of just like trying to at least like make the least contact possible like i think there are ways that we can just in our everyday even when we're walking outside especially like what peter was saying of of yeah finding places and times to be outside and to be a part of I mean, I, that's, that's like, for me, that's where it's at. Like, I love being outside. And so there's a lot of times where I, I am on a hike or snowboarding or just all these different things of, but getting to bring different people that I maybe typically wouldn't have done that with alongside me. Yeah. It's like, I, I also, I just so love spring and summer and I think heading into now better weather. I mean, sorry, Australia, um, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, hopefully you've been doing this, um, just realizing like it stuff can be spontaneous too. We often so over, you know, construct everything. Like yeah. afterward, yeah. ping a few friends and just say, grab some food on your way home from work and let's meet at a park and just mm-hmm. catch up and talk about our days or do, you know, and it's like, if you can show up, show up, you know, whatever. And it doesn't have to be a big to do, you know, but you can do, I feel like when I'm out running errands, I have my mask on and I just move like this drone. Like I don't want to like make eye contact with people because, you know, you can't really engage and then it's weird. And I've got like four more stores I have to go in with this mask. And but it's like when I can stop when I'm outside a store, I like to just, you know, I stand six feet away from someone. I take my mask off and I smile at them and I say hello and I just trust God that I will not give or get COVID in that moment. I just hope I'm hopeful. So anyway, these are, these are all great ideas, you guys. And I so appreciate you weighing in with this. And again, as we move forward, trust God in the process, are are kind and careful with people. I think we'll be able to make some great gains. So thanks for your input. Thank Thank you. you.
Well, folks, we are here um, for this week's culture segment, which is a continuation of last week's conversation uh, with Paul Angoni about his book, 25 Lies, 20-somethings Need to Stop Believing. And so welcome back, Paul. Uh, Thanks for having me back. Well, super cool. Um, I mentioned last week, you know, we were talking a lot about everything from, you know, I'm the only one struggling uh, to, you know, this idea of like, oh, well, what if I make all the wrong choices now? How's this going to derail my future? Um, And today we're going to tackle a couple more of the lies that you put in the book. And so um, one is this idea that we either are completely informed and connected or that for some reason we just have to be. And it there's a little bit of PTSD in this for me because I had a season where I was a journalist and I worked in Washington, D.C. And I worked with people who, because this was the political landscape of the paper I was at, um, who could easily just bring up random politicians and conspiracy theories from like the 50s and 60s that I had no idea what they were talking about. But I just looked like an idiot because they were talking about like these people were their uncles or something. And Uh I'm like, what? And it just helped me realize maybe I'm not as into this as I kind (laughs) of thought I was. Um, Maybe I just wanted to like wear suits and walk around the Capitol. Um, But it was a weird spot for me because I felt like I was so knowledgeable about stuff, but you can always compare yourself to someone who knows just a little bit more uh-huh. or is in on the latest thing. Or uh, talk to us about where for the young adult today, this is really manifesting itself. Yeah, well, I think it's manifesting in our pocket with our iPhone and just how connected I think we all are mm-hmm. with our smartphone. And just all the updates, all the things that we're getting, all the social media, all the apps, everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just this constant alert yeah. That we're either touching, it's uh, or we're wearing. Maybe it's on our uh, it's our watch, mm-hmm. and it's this this need. It's really an addiction, mm-hmm. and studies are showing that more and more that mm-hmm. it's 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 an addiction, and that we're so addicted to being constantly connected to our phone, constantly informed, constantly updated, yeah. and all these apps that are shooting at us the latest headlines. And and really the latest grenades, in a sense, the latest things to just that are going to blow up everything. Mm -hmm. Here's how everything's ending. Mm -hmm. You know, it's usually very heightened, very dramatic, Mm -hmm. very stark, um, because that's how they're getting your attention. And but yet we're addicted to it. Mm -hmm. And I really go after this lie and I call it obsessive connection disorder. (laughs) Uh, I'm not making light of obsessive compulsive disorder, but I'm in a sense we are so compulsive to to be connected all the time and it it really is this obsession and and what is that doing to our mental health what is that doing to our anxiety levels our self-esteem what's that doing to actually our information Mm -hmm. if we're constantly going to what i call infotainment Mm -hmm. uh this really it's it's made to catch your eye it's made to be entertaining it's made to get a click Mm -hmm. is it really made to present truth Mm -hmm. is it really made to present a well-reasoned argument not that some journalists or some people on Twitter, Facebook aren't doing that. Um, but I think we can all say, and especially after the climate we've been in for with political unrest and all that, that what is this doing to us? Uh, how inf- well-informed are we? Or is technology dictating our education? Is, is the tool of technology mm-hmm. really dictating our knowledge? Yeah. Or are we seeking out knowledge, seeking out wisdom that we can then apply 
rightly to our life and in our families. Yeah. Well, and it just strikes me how it's just making us freak out about stuff. Because like, take, for example, the COVID vaccine. I mean, if this had happened 50 years ago, you would just get the vaccine because your doctor tells you to and you just trust him and you're just whatever. But now everyone's got their independent sources (laughs) about Mm -hmm. everything. And then they're like, not only can they just like have their own opinion about it and be like, no, you know, I'm not going to do it or I'm going to wait on it. But then it's like, and here's why you need to think exactly how I do. And it's just, and then we're mad at each other because someone's judging so-and-so and we get all crazy about it. And it just seems to me that it's become kind of this, yeah, this black hole of like, do you know enough? Do you know the right things? Do you have the sources for the right Mm -hmm. things? And in light of that, are you influencing enough people to think the way that you think? And it kind of made me think of a conversation I had with a friend the other night who was lamenting the fact that she couldn't add more. And she's not, she's not super like on social media. So sometimes I envy her. Um, And she was like, yeah, I just can't like fit any more people into my life. And I'm like thinking, you've got like three good friends. (laughs) And I'm like thinking of me in comparison, I'm keeping all these plate spinning yeah. and i'm like that's probably not any better because really what's the depth of all these multitudinous connection yeah. points that i have yeah and i think i think we're all feeling the strain of that i think yeah. we're all feeling the weight of it um and i think we're all wondering is there a healthier way out there and and am i addicted you know i think we all have to ask ourselves that like how 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 stark is my addiction how much time you know, you can put the setting on your phone. You know, they're trying to do some things now yeah. to let you know how addicted you are to yeah. the technology they're selling you. And they're doing that because, you know, there's been uh, articles and research uh, and even, you know, Apple's two two biggest investors. And I talk about this in the book. They came out and said, hey, Apple, we got to do things to help young people fight the addiction to the thing we've created. Mm-hmm. And if you've watched, you know, documentaries like Social Dilemma or some different mm-hmm. documentaries, basically a lot of people that were on the uh, the front end of creating a lot of these services, these apps, these technologies are all now feeling very guilty and very worried mm-hmm. about what they helped start yeah. and what is it now doing. Yeah. Um, you know, and we've been talking about things like filter bubbles for a while, you know, it was popular TED Talk, um, you know, basically how the internet is creating filter bubbles, that it's only showing you things that you want to see based off your preferences, based off your search history. They know you Mm -hmm. better than you know yourself. Mm -hmm. So it's only showing you uh, arguments and people that you agree with. Yeah. Um, So different than, yeah, going to the town hall, hearing the political debate, having an open mind, hearing the two candidates without any sense of what you were supposed to believe, but just thinking through it. Right. Um, how different is that now? Yeah. And so that obsessive connection disorder that I go after in this book, I think it's a really important one. I think it's something we got to keep talking about. And I do think it's having some really negative effects with, with everything, with, with our self-image, with our anxiety or depression. Again, the, the stats are there and there's going to be more and more stats coming out with this, with this addiction, uh, with, I need to be so informed. I need to be so instantly connected, yeah. uh, that we really have no foundation, no base, yeah. uh, no well that we're drawing from right. in that, in that space. Well, and it's, you know, it's so interesting because it is, it's almost prompting some of the big, um, creators and companies to have a knee jerk reaction of like, okay, well now we just got to do away with this. I just read this morning that they're the big three, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram are, are thinking of completely pulling back on the amount of political content that they even allow, hmm. you know? And so now it's like, well, so what they're going to get to decide, you know? So yeah. then you're, 
you get all angsty about that, um, which is which is an interesting prospect. But but it is true because we have um, uh, who was it? It was again, a, I think it was a YouTuber who. Oh, no, it was a professor that, again, I was reading about, you know, because I'm overly informed. <laughs> I'm like, where did I read that? Uh-huh. I don't know. It was probably one of the 50 random news articles I scrolled through today, um, who was talking about one of his assignments that he gives in his class is for everyone to put everything away, all their devices. And for 30 minutes, they have to have a conversation with someone mm. next to him and yeah. how difficult that is. And this is in a university somewhere. Yeah. And I was just so shocked by that. And so my, you know... My reaction to that, Paul, as the um, oldster that I am becoming, though I'm still young at heart, people, let's be honest here, is uh, this idea of driving to one of the other lies that you talk about, and that's nostalgia in Mm. the book. And, you know, for me, I was like, what in the world? What can a 20-something be looking back on in a reflective, you know, kind of um, uh, longing kind of way? But I guess it's true because, I mean, I obviously can see very clear distinctions of you know my childhood versus where we are now but you're saying that even you know the frenetic pace that a young adult is living at they're kind of wistful for previous days too and you even reference um i think it was 500 days of summer the movie that really kind of you know talk about how you or why you selected that as a as an example yeah if if anybody's seen 500 days of summer it's great and it's a great perspective on relationships the whole movie's about a dating relationship Mm -hmm. and there's some classic scenes after they break up where he's been going he's going back and he's he's having all this nostalgia about the memories they spent together how amazing it was how in love they were all these things that we all do Mm -hmm. i think after a breakup whether you've been dumped or you did the dumping at some point, it's like, oh man, should I go back? And so he's struggling with that, wanting to go back. And then later down the line, uh, the, during the movie towards the end, he goes back through those memories. It was actually his younger sister says, I want you to go back and I want you to look again. Mm-hmm. So they have him go back and then they show the whole clip. So instead of him reaching out his hand and and grabbing her hand like he remembered, now he's remembering that she pulled her hand away. Hmm. Or now he's remembering the argument that they had. Or now he's remembering that she was crying at the movie uh, when they're watching The Graduate and they're watching this uh, wedding scene. Mm -hmm. She's bawling. Mm -hmm. And he's thinking now, (laughs) like, maybe that was a sign that she didn't want to marry me. Hmm. And so nostalgia was really blinding him to what to something that wasn't really true. Hmm. And I feel like that happens to us when we're in hard situations, when we're in hard seasons, times, we have a tendency to look back. And I want to go back to that time when everything was good, when everything was right, when everything was perfect. And I guess my point in the, in, uh, I don't think nostalgia in a sense is necessarily bad, like mm-hmm. having good memories, having perspective, having that, those times is fine, but it's the lie of there wasn't any problems then. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you had problems, you mm-hmm. had struggles, you were going through things. Um, even in middle school or high school or college, those times we might look back and say everything was perfect. Now nah, you were insecure and you were depressed mm-hmm. and you were struggling through stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I think we need to, we, we lose our, our future and our present perspective when we're always thinking about the past and how do I get back there? And then that's why, you know, a lot of people, they end up getting back into a, uh, another bad relationship or they go back to the bad relationship Mm -hmm. because at least it was comfortable. At least I know it Mm -hmm. Um, versus now where I feel like everything's changing. There's so much transition and I don't know where to stand. So even if I feel miserable, I just want to get back to someplace that feels comfortable. Yeah. And so that can be the, become the problem of wishing you could go back. Yeah. Yeah. And it's weird because it, it seems like all of us trend towards one extreme of either trying to live in the past or the, what the glory days or the what ifs, or we're so into the future of like, well, I'm going to be this and this is what, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, we're just not, 
enjoying where we are. And so the 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 present day is just spent uh, looking at everyone else's lives and their stories <laughs> through mm-hmm. social or whatever. And and again, we're not really experiencing the the time that we're in, which is a bummer. Um, I like one of the suggestions that you give, and you actually give. Um, uh, some of your own examples here. You talk about, um, and this is for staying informed, but also I think just for slowing our pace down and being okay with like cultivating our minds in healthier ways. Um, you actually recommend reading great books and going after like, we always talk about, you know, this is again, one of those other things you always read about, about like the greats, you know, like a Warren Buffett who are like have built these empires and stuff. And then they say, you know, I read 25 papers a day and I've, you know, read all these books and amazing leadership stuff. But there are some really good ones to go after. And what, you know, what would you say, Paul, like if you could throw out a couple classics that you think are just great for developing the mind and, and helping someone be a well-rounded person, yeah. what would you put out there? Yeah, I put a list out there. I think it's 27 books, 20-something should read or something on the interwebs. And huh. I just keep collecting these books. Uh-huh. Um, one of them that I've, I mean, uh, some of the classics for me are like Man's Search for Meaning. That's mm-hmm. a, been a, become a popular one. Mm-hmm. Victor Frankl, mm-hmm. basically his perspective of going through a concentration camps mm-hmm. in the 40s and how he um, came out of that mm-hmm. and uh, what he learned from that experience. Mm-hmm. For anybody that's struggling with a sense of lost hope or lost purpose, I think that's a really important one. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one that I write about, which is a, another classic story, is The Hiding Place mm-hmm. about the Ten Booms, Corey mm-hmm. Ten Boom. And, uh, and I talk about this in the book. I relate, I, 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 it taught me so much and it had this lie of, um, I think there's this lie of nothing good will come out of this. Mm-hmm. And I think we're experiencing this now. Like what, what good can come out of COVID or what good can come out of tragedy? And in that book, and I'll quickly tell this story, but basically, uh, the 10 booms are also in a concentration camp and, uh, they're in a dorm with all these other women and there's, uh, fleas everywhere. And uh, Corey Tenboom's sister was trying to practice the, uh, the practice of being thankful. Mm-hmm. So thankful for everything, you know, thankful uh, that we're here together, sisters. And she's going down the list and thanking that. Uh, thank you even for the fleas. And Corey Tenboom's like, no, I can't. <laughs> like, that's it for me. Like, <laughs> your faith's better than mine, but I will not thank God for these fleas. Because every time they lay down in bed, they'd just be bitten by fleas mm-hmm. all the time. So a month later, they're doing these uh, Bible services in their dorms. And all these women with all different uh, dialects from different countries are all coming together. And they're translating the Bible. I mean, it's rippling throughout the whole room. And and no guards will come in and no guards are stopping them from these Bible services. So basically, they're able to preach the good news and <laughs> lead people to Christ. And so full of life in their dorm, they don't understand like they God's protecting them. So then they figure out... Uh, later on, they talked to one of the guards and the guards like, yeah, I, none of the guards will come into your guys' dorms because it has the worst fleas. Mm-hmm. So the <laughs> fleas were creating this, this force field mm-hmm. uh, around uh, the camp. So there was, there was good coming out of that piece. And sometimes, again, we don't have that perspective. So again, these books, I love history mm-hmm. and I love these kind of books because I think it gives us this perspective. It gives us these stories. It gives, again, these things of, wow, this person was struggling. This person was going through something really hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And here's how God brought them through it. Here's what they learned from it. Here's how God was faithful. And man, we really lose that if our main sense of information is coming from the internet. Mm -hmm. And again, as you're reading a book, you know, I was reading Thomas Merton, No Man is an Island. Mm -hmm. He's a monk, one of my favorites too. Just reading those books, you know, just so much wisdom. And again, I just, I was just 
it was just such a profound realization. I was having the kind of a quiet retreat reading this book. It was just this realization of he was giving me wisdom answers that I was not searching for in a browser. Mm-hmm. I didn't go and tell and tell me the answer to living a good life and getting the search results that were tailored towards my own biases. Mm-hmm. Thomas Merton was presenting arguments to me of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And then I had to wrestle with that and think about that. And it, again, it just it is such an important concept and it's becoming more and more radical. Uh, but again, it gives us a foundation to build off of. Yeah. So if you were to sit down, um, Paul, with someone, you know, say one of our listeners who's just like, okay, we're now, you know, we're in a new year. Let's all agree. We just had to, you know, write off 2020 <laughs> because of whatever. Um, but I really want to do this year differently. And I want to have more hope. And I want to live, you know, in the moment and be hopeful for the future. And I I want, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm so tethered to technology and stuff. Do you have any like just steps like next step forward that you would recommend for folks to just say, you know, cause maybe just a couple easy wins and then something looking ahead to the whole year that you'd recommend for them. Yeah. Yeah. In the book, even though it's about lies, it's really about trying to get to truth mm-hmm. and next steps. So mm-hmm. each, each chapter <laughs> in the book, I literally have next steps, exactly what you just said. So it's not just, Oh, that's a lie. Oh, great. I'm terrible. <laughs> yeah. Oh, great. Now I'm Let's more depressed. About it. Yeah. It's like, no, here's some next steps. Here's some things we can do. Here's ways we can start chipping away at this. Um, so, I mean, there's lots of different ways. One, you know, obviously have some, if you feel you're alone in this, you feel like you're struggling, you find that community. If you can be the friend that's willing to reach out and be vulnerable and talk to two friends and just say, Hey, can we meet on zoom? Can we meet on the phone? Can we meet for coffee? If that's allowed in our state, uh, to just really talk. Cause again, that's giving you a foundation. That's giving you a grounding. Um, there's, if you're having struggle with the phone, we, we got to find some habits and practices to put down our phone. So whatever that is, whether that's like, like you said, 30 minutes of silence, of putting away your device, whether that's putting on the setting on your phone so you know how much time you're spending. You can put apps where you can only spend a certain amount of time on your app. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of those tools could be helpful. Or it could be, you know, I, I need a fast. You know, you see a lot of people doing this now and more mm-hmm. and more and more. I'm going to fast from social media. I'm going to go off of it for a certain period of time. Yeah. Um, and then also, you know, just some small things like, Okay, I'm feeling the pull. I'm feeling the pull to my phone. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling depressed. Okay, I got to stop myself. Let me realize that. And let me go on a walk. Um, Let me go on a hike. Let me go pray. Let me go find some silence to sit in and see what happens. And I think for our culture, especially, it's such a a noisy world. You know, it's, I think back to the Grinch saying, oh, the noise, 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 noise. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's only gotten noisier. So um, it could even be just turn the radio off in your car if you're driving. Yeah. Um, whatever thing you can do to practice some of those age-old truths. This is nothing new, mm-hmm. um, but it's so important. And yeah. I bring up the example in the book on that on that step of of uh, Mr. Fred Rogers. Mm-hmm. And I won't tell his whole story. You know, we've become more popular with the movie and everything. Mm-hmm. But really, that was his whole practice. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I was watching him on an interview with Charlie Rose, who is a famous interviewer and... Um, he was really amazed at Fred Rogers and he was telling Fred, you're the most peaceful person I know. And, and, and Mr. Rogers was basically asking Charlie Rose, how do we, in our television profession, how do we promote silence and reflection? And that's what he was trying to do in a show. That's why he talks so slow hmm. and he would have pauses hmm. and, uh, and anybody knows the TV is, you know, dead silence. That's mm-hmm. the worst. 
But he promoted that because even through the element of TV, he was trying to promote reflection and silence for kids to be able to think mm-hmm. and wrestle with something. And, and, and in a sense, then he was also a very grounded person and peaceful. Yeah. So, I mean, those are, I mean, we could go through a whole list. Yeah, yeah. Um, but those well, are some to start. Do, you, yeah. <laughs> that was, I was going to say, you know, really it made me think like you actually have some pretty good, um, what you call healthy declarations at the end of the book that are just good exercises for people to walk through and not not every one of them is going to hit a nerve or be like, oh, this is the one I have to focus on. But it really is kind of drawing a line in the sand and saying, you know, because for me, I would love to sit back and be all prideful and think like, okay, well, now I've really arrived in all my maturity and I don't struggle with any of these weird, weird things. But I had one of my things for this year was to to have completely social media free Sundays Hmm. because I... I'm addicted to social media. I'm addicted to notifications on my phone, which I don't even have on my phone, but mm-hmm. I go into the apps to like look and see what notifications yeah, I have. Too. So how messed up is that? Um, when you talked about uh, our inability to even watch a sitcom without multitasking, like yeah. our attention spans are that bad. Yeah. That was very depressing. So <laughs> it's just like, how do I, you know, and I feel like that for me alone will tackle both social media and separating and making a Sabbath for myself. So Mm. it's going to be that distinction that I need. And everyone kind of has their thing, like you said, that they can do and that they can move forward in. And I think these declarations are a good way to go about that too. Yeah, I end the book, you know, I go through the 25 lies and then I end the book with some declarations and then I basically end the book with a prayer. Mm -hmm. And I just, here's my prayer for you. And I just go through a list Mm -hmm. Um, because that really is my heart for the book. You know, it's, it's going after despair and hopelessness and fear and just everything that I feel like we've been just so smothered with. Mm-hmm. And I think we all could just use a good dose of hope yeah. <laughs> and encouragement and inspiration and not a fake kind, but an intentional kind. Yeah. And and that's my hope with the book is to say, hey, we've all been on that ledge mm-hmm. to some extent. And I start the book with a ledge story, an actual mm-hmm. ledge story where I'm my neighbor's out on a ledge <laughs> and for four hours I'm there talking to them. Mm. And I tell that story in the book to start it yeah. because that's what it feels like to me. I mean, it feels that stark to me and that real. Yeah. And we've all been there, whether it's maybe it's not physically, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Yeah. And so we all need to say, Hey, we're, we're all in this together. How do we move forward and how do we be intentional about it? Yeah. Um, Cause it's not going to just happen again. You don't become the magician by magic. Yeah. Um, and you don't start moving towards some healthy habits by, by magic. <laughs> you humble yourself, mm-hmm. you ask good questions, you say, okay, who can help me along this journey? And um, how do I move forward to this and, and pray a lot yeah. uh, through it? Uh, yeah. And then hopefully you can start forming some new habits uh, towards better health in 2021. Yeah, that's good. And I think that, you know, this is where I would say that you, the listener, have a leg up on some of us who are older because you are still naturally more teachable, more humble, more interested in, I mean, I'm always so jazzed whenever I get interns in who are just like, yeah, you know, well, I, I've done like four internships. I mean, they're just always, I mean, and some of it is just like, you know, they're trying to succeed and whatever, but there's also just that that ability to say, I just want to learn. I just want to mm-hmm. be part of this. I just want to. And so you guys, if you still have that, um, cling on to that and be, you know, be excited about where you are because there's a lot ahead of you and it doesn't all have to be like Paul said, exciting or sexy. It will not be. So be okay with that. Um, but know that there's a good future ahead of you, um, mostly because God has your future. And so Paul, thank you so much. Um, the book you guys is 25 lies, 20 somethings need to stop believing. Um, we've been talking to Paul today and of course we'll have all, you know, you guys, 
have his info, you know his info, but we're making it available yet again um, so that you can get more of this info again now that we're in a new year. And, uh, you know, what else are you doing during COVID? So just <laughs> go after it. So, Paul, thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me on. on that everyone we are finishing out this week's show with our inbox and have counselor jenny coffee in hey jenny hello good to have you thank you well here we go you're going to answer this week's question our listener says what are some good habits to establish early on for a healthy marriage while none of us are perfect and we all have areas we can improve in what would you say are essential areas we need to be growing in and what are some non-essential ones? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm going to kind of speak from two different time frames because I think, you know, as we know, most millennials and Gen Zers are getting married a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got, it seems to be kind of the two sides of the spectrum. You still got the, especially among Christians, a lot of people that are still getting married young. And then you've got people that are pushing it off a little bit. And so we, what we tend to see is that people that get married a little bit older, either in their early 30s or beyond, um, there tends to be more of a difficulty of merging the two lives together because they've been living independently and singly for so long that it's kind of like I kind of got my groove in the way that I do things and now I got to switch that up. So when it comes to getting married older, um, I think one of the best things that they can work on doing is kind of that biblical leave and cleave mindset. And this seems to be especially hard for people that tend to live close to family. So if they're close by, They kind of just continue on with those patterns of, well, we go over to mom and dad's Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, (laughs) Sunday, you know, and Thursday at brunch. And so it's there's not that ability in that time to kind of create that identity as a husband and wife. And that can be so foundationally important, both for young, younger marrieds and then those that get married a little bit older. Creating that identity as husband and wife is super important. And I think that that's somewhat of an um, ambiguous type of thing like what does that even look like Mm -hmm. but it's really that idea of how do you make sure that you're making your spouse your person Mm -hmm. so somebody was probably your person before and you're needing to shift that Mm -hmm. Um, now that can go the other way where you want to make sure that you're not cutting off friendships Mm -hmm. cutting off all of other support systems and you guys kind of turtle into yourselves and it's just the two of you against the world so make sure you are maintaining those same-sex friendships because your spouse can't do that for you. Yeah. Um, they can't be that, you know, for a woman, it's not going to, you're not going to get probably the emotion from your husband that you want that you can get from a girlfriend. So maintaining those friendships and those relationships within the confines of that new identity as a wife is really important, especially when you're saying things like needing support from somebody, but not making sure you're putting your spouse on blast. You know, mm-hmm. like they're not your boyfriend anymore. Yeah. You know, be very careful to protect 
yeah. the marriage, but also using that as a support system, I think is really important. All of this stuff can kind of be pushed to an extreme. You can take any of these things as good things and they can be bad, right? The leave and cleave. You can, once again, you can kind of hole into yourselves. That can be a negative. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have the friendships where you either tend to lean one or both ways of heavily investing in a friendship and forgetting your spouse or forgetting all friendships and only thinking about your spouse. So it's really a matter of healthy boundaries all the way around, Mm -hmm. but there has to be foundationally that reestablishing of identity as husband and wife. What does this look like? How do we move forward in that in a healthy way? And then kind of continue on in life as usual, in a sense, keeping everything under that umbrella of now you're married. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, Also, just a a couple thoughts or something I'd like you to address is I I hear from a lot of folks who get into marriage who realize pretty early on that maybe they didn't quite have the communication and conflict skills that they needed. So Mm -hmm. all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, so I am a stuffer or I am a stonewaller or I am... Is there, like, short of them just, like, being able to read a book on this yeah, how to do right. this better, how can they start practicing that or even establishing kind of where their unhealthy patterns are? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say without a shadow of a doubt, if a couple is not doing premarital before they get married, that is statistically they found out that uh, there's a 33% less likely chance of you getting divorced if you do four mar- uh, premarital counseling sessions, just four. I mean, 33%. That's wow. huge. And this was a secular study. Mm. So it's really interesting. It's finally getting traction amongst everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of newlyweds get nervous about therapy. Oh, like, well, we've only been married six months. We shouldn't have to be in therapy already. Mm-hmm. Um, but really what I tell people kind of it's a blunt thing, but it's true. If you haven't been able to figure it out so far, it's unlikely you're going to somehow magically, you know, unless the Lord literally comes down himself <laughs> and, and figures out how to do this, it's it's unlikely that you're going to suddenly create the patterns and the things that you need to do. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, there's tons of wonderful books out there. We have so many on our website. Um, Boundaries in Marriage is great, as well as the Nine Lies book that we just published about how certain lies in your marriage can destroy communication and conflict resolution skills. Mm. But if you're reading that and finding, I need someone to help me process this, therapy is one of the best things you can do. And typically what it is, is it's not that these people can't figure it out. It's not that you're dumb. There's nothing wrong with you. But there's so many childhood triggers and wounds that tend to come out. And marriage brings those out. And if it's hard to be able to manage those on your own without kind of a mediator there to help you walk through it. Yeah, that's good. Well, we will make sure we get those resources um, on our site available to you. And you can go to focusonthefamily.com and uh, even learn more about the advice and the resources that our counselors have uh, for you. Um, You can just click on the applicable links there, which we will also make available. So Jenny, thanks so much. Thank you. Okay, folks. Well, that is it for this week's show. And uh, we would love to see you around the site and beyond. Make sure that you're weighing in on our social and elsewhere. Uh, Find us there throughout the week as we have conversations around these issues. Otherwise, I'll see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family. 